Did that, Melanie, did that song come from the Bahamas? I thought so. That's good. That's good. I remember when I first met Melanie, she came here from the Bahamas. And I asked her why she came so far to go to school. And she said, because my mama can swim to Miami. So I never forgot that. Uh, we're glad to have her. And uh, all of you. Wasn't that, wasn't that a tremendous um, and provocative slide presentation? That's really, that's really um, a way to get to our hearts, to make it as vivid as it was. The time is running out on people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and what a tremendous challenge we have to reach them. I hope you'll get involved in ministry. I hope you'll get involved in the missions conference. And I hope that even without an official ministry and without a missions conference, you'll be used of God to bring people to Christ as you meet them all around our community. We, uh, we want you to, to just use the opportunities that God gives you all through this community. I was reading an article in the paper this morning about Cal Arts. I don't know if you know there's a school up on the hill called Cal Arts. Uh, it's a strange and bizarre place. It belongs in another time and another space. Um, but anyway, Cal Arts uh, is on one end of this community demonstrating how far gone young people can be and we ought to be some kind of a contrast to them in, in representing Jesus Christ. You might even run into a Cal Arts person and have the privilege of sharing the Lord with them. But we want you to impact this community for Christ. There are many needy people and just be sensitive to the opportunities that God gives to you. Well, let's look together again in our theme of worship this morning. We, we just have a brief time before you have to get on to what you really love, class. But uh, before, before we let you go, I, I want to follow up what we said yesterday out of John's Gospel, Chapter 4, talking about the, the aspect of worship. Look again at verses 20 to 24. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. She wants to know about worship. And Jesus explains here much about worship. In fact, probably there is no better explanation of the elements of worship in a concise passage than right here in this particular gospel. We noted that the importance of worship is stressed throughout Scripture. We have been saved to worship. We are called in Philippians 3, those who worship in the Spirit of God, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We are the true worshipers whom the Father seeks to worship Him, as verse 23 says. We remember that we are spiritual priests, Romans 12:1, offering up spiritual sacrifices. And 1 Peter 2.5 says essentially the same thing as it says also a couple of times in the epistle to the Hebrews. The importance of worship is delineated to us from one end of Scripture to the other. And I might just point out something we haven't really touched. But you're going to spend your entire eternity, if you're a Christian, worshiping God. You can start in the fourth chapter of Revelation, go to the fifth chapter, the eleventh, the fourteenth, the fifteenth, the nineteenth, the twenty-second chapter, all the way on out to the end of Revelation, and you're going to find that you will spend all eternity worshiping God. That's why you were made new in Christ. That's why God redeemed you to be a worshiper. It's not something you postpone until heaven. It's something we begin to do now, and it's perfected when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the importance of worship, it begins in the garden when the created man and woman worship God, walk and talk with him in the cool of the day. It's lost in the fall. It's recovered as God reinstituted worship, reinstituted worship through his grace and mercy and salvation, bought back because of the sacrifice of Christ, a worshiping people, prepares them for heaven, and throughout all eternity we will worship God. That's why we exist. That's what we're all about. We are worshipers. And who then is the object of our worship? We said the object is God, the one and only true God, the God who is spirit, the God who is spirit, who is holy. And that refers to his essential nature. And we went into that last time. You remember that in this passage, verse 24 starts, God is spirit. In other words, the God we worship is a spirit. That is to say, he is not reduced to a form. He is not confined to a body or a building or an idol or some kind of image. Worship is not confined then to any place. Worship can occur at any place at any time since God is the omnipresent spirit. His essence fills all of infinite space and uh, he can be worshipped anywhere. The lady said to Jesus, do you worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem? And he says, you have to understand God is a spirit. God is a spirit. God is not confined to any place. We said yesterday that the plus side of that is we can worship God anywhere. The negative side of that may be that since God is everywhere, he is there whether we want him there or not. At all times in our lives, we live and move and have our being in God. And as Paul also said in Acts 17, he is not very far from any one of us. So as a spirit, then, he must be worshipped in the spiritual dimension. As a spirit who is holy, he must be worshipped in the beauty of holiness, to quote Psalm 96, 9. So we go before a holy God with a holy heart. We don't rush in to worship God unless we've dealt with sin in our life. The highest level of worship in the church is the Lord's table. We had that at Grace Church Sunday night. Many of you were there. That's the pinnacle of our worship. And Paul says, don't come into this place to worship unless you've examined your heart. You must worship God in the beauty of holiness. So the Lord then is a spirit, a spirit who is holy, a spirit who can be worshipped anywhere at any time. But there's more. Not just a spirit. I want to take it a step further, if I might, this morning. The God who is spirit is also designated here as the God who is the Father. And you will notice in verse 21, it says the Father. In verse 23, it says worship the Father. And then again, the Father seeks to be his worshipers, those who worship in spirit and truth. So three times it refers to God as the Father. Now, what does he mean by this? And I think you're going to be a little bit... Uh, interested, at least I hope you are, to, to contemplate what it means that God is the Father. First of all, it does not mean that He is our Father. That is not its primary purpose. This is not here to describe God as our Father. That would not tell us really anything about God's essential being. You say, well, what, in what use does the term Father appear here? The idea is that God is the Father, not of believers, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a very important point to make. You'll misunderstand much if you don't understand this. The idea of God as the Father is putting God into his Trinitarian essence. God is the Father in the sense of the Trinity. He is the Father particularly in relation not to us, his children, so much as to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at John 5, you can turn the page a moment, and verse 17. 
Jesus being confronted by the Jews who were persecuting him for what he was doing on the Sabbath. He answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. It's an incredible statement. He's saying, You may have a Sabbath law that applies to men, but God does not bind himself by that law, and neither do I. Now, what was he saying by that? Verse 18, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself, what? Equal with God. To say God is my father is to say I'm one in essence with him. To say that I have a father, if I were to bring my father in here and say this is my father, it means that we share the same life. He gave life to me. Commonly we share life. It's a statement of mutual essence. In the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, also verse 29, My Father, Jesus says, who has given them to me, referring to those who believe, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then he says, I and the Father are one. Now here is another claim on the part of Christ to be equal with the Father. In the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, again, where this is a major theme verse 1 these things Jesus spoke and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said father the hour has come glorify thy son that the son may glorify thee even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind and to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life and this is eternal life that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent then in verse 4, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus refers to God as Father every time he talks to God except one. Over 70 times, Jesus calls God his Father. The only time he didn't refer to God as Father was when he was separated from God in his death on the cross because of sin. And at that point when he prayed, he said, My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Every other time that he spoke to God that's recorded in Scripture, he called him Father. It was to emphasize that their essence was the same, that they shared the same divine life. And the point is this, no person then can worship God who does not worship the God who is the Father of whom? Of Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, that is, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Now listen carefully. God who is spirit, God who is spirit, must be worshipped as spirit. And he must be worshipped as the God who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, anyone denying the connection of essence between Christ and God is not worshipping the true God. Now keep that in your mind. Because there are Mormons who claim to worship God, but they deny the deity of Christ, right? So they are not worshiping the God who is one in essence with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses say they worship God, they worship Jehovah, but they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they do not worship the God who is one in essence with the Lord Jesus Christ. The unity cult worships God and talks about God, but does not worship the God who is one in essence with the Lord Jesus Christ because they deny that Jesus is God. Recently, I mentioned in our, one of our services that uh, Oral Roberts was on the Larry King show. And uh, Larry King was interviewing him and he said to him, he said, are, are Jews going to go to heaven? And uh, the, the answer that Oral Roberts gave was, well, of course, Christianity is built on Judaism. And the Jews believe in God. I want you to know something. To believe in God... A God who is not one in essence with the Lord Jesus Christ is to be damned to hell. Because the only way you can worship God is to worship the God who is spirit, the God who is spirit who is holy, and the God who is spirit who is holy who is one in essence with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you deny the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're not worshiping the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the issue. And there are a lot of people that don't understand that, you know. There are a lot of people who think that if you just worship God, everything's okay. No matter what place Jesus has or does not have. Jesus is God. That's an affirmation Scripture makes. You can go through the Gospel of John and see that. One thing alone should prove that He is God. And that is His ability to create. The only personality in the universe who can create is God. Do you realize that? No one, no being can create anything except God. I mean, you can take what is and make something out of it, but you can't create. You can't go out into your driveway one day and say, car, you know, bang, there it is. I mean, you can't uh, wish yourself the perfect mate, you know, girl, oh boy, that's what I want, see. You can't turn in your specs and supernaturally create. You can't do that. No created being has the power to create. So if we want to know whether Jesus is God, we want to know whether he can create, right? And that's what John sets out to prove. In John chapter 2, Jesus goes to a wedding. They run out of wine. His mother comes to him and says, we're out of wine. What did Jesus do? What did he do? He created what? Wine. He created wine. Was it a big deal for him to do that? Did he have to go up on the housetop, stretch out his arms, face heaven, grit his teeth, say, wine! Is that what he had to do? No. He just said to those guys, let's go dip in those jars. Probably went, wine. I mean, he's a supernatural God. You come to chapter 6 and he creates bread. Remember the people were without food, the feeding of the 5,000? And the disciples said, there's not enough food to feed these people and not enough money to buy enough food to feed these people. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, sit them down in groups of 50 and 100 so you can serve them easily. And, you know, the response would be, serve them what? We don't have anything to serve them. So they sit them all down in a little aisle so everybody can get served. And what happened? Jesus created, didn't he? He just created. He created fish and bread. The, the bread is a little biscuit and the fish was the little boy had was probably a pickled fish. They took the fish out of the Sea of Galilee and pickle them and just kind of spread them on biscuits. Sounds pretty gross to me. But anyway, that's what they enjoyed. I've eaten those fish. Not bad if it's cooked right. But Jesus just, just, gave, just fed them. He just kept making fish and bread. 
he bypassed the earth, the seeds, the grain, the flower. He just created it instant like that. Now, only God can do that. You come in chapter 9, you meet a man who's been born blind from, uh, blind from birth, and Jesus gives him eyes. You come into John 11, and the man is dead, namely Lazarus. He's been dead so long, his sister said, by this time he stinketh. Good King James English. By this time he stinketh, and Jesus goes over to the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And it's a good thing he said Lazarus, because he had so much power. If he hadn't said Lazarus, everybody in the grave would have come out. So he qualified it. Only Lazarus this time, the rest of you later. See, a person who can make things, create things, create life. Then he went into the grave himself and created his own life. And so when you worship God, you have to worship the God who is one with the Lord Jesus Christ who is God in human flesh. Now let me show you. This is a major issue in the New Testament. Ephesians. Let's, let's just look at a couple of places. Ephesians 1.3. Paul is writing here to the saints, probably at Ephesus and other places. Since some of the manuscripts leave out the word Ephesus, it might have been even a circular letter. But anyway, it's identified as Ephesus. And our faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, listen to this, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're linked together. Then verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of whom? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles knew what Jesus meant when he referred to God as Father. It wasn't that God was the Father of men. It is that God is primarily the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This then is a statement of the deity of Christ and the inseparable shared essence, the common life that the Father and the Son enjoy together. Verse 17 of Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, again, the Father linked to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Backing up into, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we find a similar usage of terms. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, the Father of whom? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whose Father? His Father. His Father. In Romans, going back... Chapter 15, I think it's about verse 5. Yes, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify what God? The God who is the Father of whom? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you cannot worship God unless you worship God as the God who is one in essence with the incarnate God, Christ. That's the issue. First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First John. And there may be more. I'm just giving you some. First John 1, 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And then over in that second epistle, um, the third verse, grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Boy, that's really clear, isn't it? The New Testament, listen carefully. The New Testament knows nothing of a God who is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The New Testament knows nothing of a God who is apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me sum it up with John 5.23. Listen to this verse. Well, verse 22 will start. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Did you get that? You cannot worship God unless you worship the God who is revealed in the Son. Boy, that's an important message. A lot of people are deceived and think they worship God. But there is no God except the God who is a spirit and the God who is a spirit who is holy and the God who is one with Jesus Christ. Any other worship does not approach God. And you know what that does basically? That literally damns a world of religion that thinks it worships God. No man comes unto the Father, Jesus said, what? But by me. There's no God other than the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why when you come to salvation, it says that you must confess with your mouth, Jesus as what? Lord. There's no other way to be saved. In Acts 4, you remember what Peter said to the Jewish leaders? He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus Christ. He must be confessed as Lord. He must be worshipped as Lord. He must be acknowledged as God. That is the given in the reality of true worship. You go into the early church and they had the most beautiful hymns. Here's a second century hymn. There is one physician who is both flesh and spirit, born and yet not man, true life in death, both of Mary and of God, first passable and then impassable, Jesus Christ our Lord. Clement wrote, King of saints, almighty word of the Father, highest Lord, wisdom's head and chief, assuagement of all grief, Lord of all time and space, Jesus, Savior of our race. And then there was the evening hymn called Phos uh, Hilaron, Hail gladdening light of His pure glory poured, who is the immortal Father, heavenly blessed, holiest of holies, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the famous Te Deum out of the 4th century, Thou art the King of glory, O Christ, Thou art the everlasting Son of the Father. When Thou tookest upon Thee to deliver man, Thou didst not abhor the virgin's womb. When Thou hadst overcome the sharpness of death, Thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Thou sittest at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. Is it any wonder then that the Father said at His baptism, This is my, what? Beloved Son, Hear him. Is it any wonder in Psalm 2 that the father said, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish? 
Is it any wonder in 1 Corinthians 16, 22 that Scripture says, Whoever does not love the Lord will be anathema? You see, this is the worship of Christ that is central to the worship of God. You can't worship God apart from worshiping Christ. So who is the God we worship? The God who is spirit, the God who is holy, and the God who is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer.